Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, directly across from Winkies. We are also very happy that we can service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like to put a face with a voice, feel free to go to ellenbecker.com. Also, if you'd like to share this interview today, you can go to ellenbecker.com, scroll down to Money Sense, and you can send it off to anyone that uh, you would like to share it with. My guest today is Joanne Williams, and many of you know her. She's a veteran journalist. Uh, I know. I have watched her on TV, News 6, Fox, TMJ4. Um, she's an executive producer now, and many of you who've been listening to the show for the last couple of years know that I've been, I myself have been struggling with this whole concept of what does retirement look like? And you know that my daughter, Julie, has said more often than not, mom, you're a failure at retirement because it's so hard for me to think about my career, my baby that I started, Ellen Becker Investment Group, and what does the next steps look like? And so I've really been reaching out into our community, to my friends, and people that have really worked at making that transition, who have had really great careers, jobs, things that they love to do. And, you know, it's kind of like walking away and what is the next couple of years look like? And so welcome to the show, Joanne. Thank you very much. You know, you had this amazing career, and I didn't even list all the things that that you were on PBS and um, producing. And how did you how did you make this decision that okay, I feel it in my gut, the time is right, I'm going to transition from the things that I've been doing my whole life and look at other things? What was that like for you? Well, I didn't. Um... I didn't really have a choice. I was uh, in a position when I was working at Fox 6 that I had a contract coming up to be renewed. And I had a funny feeling that it wasn't going to be renewed. So I said, well, before you decide to not include me in your staff, I'm going to retire. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, and from a financial point of view, that was obviously a good thing to do, because that way I got my full pension and my Social Security. And so I walked away. There was another job opportunity that had been presented to me, and I took that opportunity. But that didn't turn out to be what I wanted it to be, so then I was in a position where I was retired again <laughs> so, so I I um then I went to work for PBS and stayed there for almost 10 years off and on and then finally I said uh I'm gonna do 
what I've always wanted to do, which was tell the story of a high school student exchange that happened in my high school when I was uh, 16 years old. So I did it. It all sounds pretty simple, but it was it was a rocky road. Let me tell you, Karen, it was not, <laughs> none of these decisions were easy. And uh, I think I made the right ones at the right time. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I know that I shared with you um, the Four Phases of Retirement by Dr. Riley Moyes. It was the TEDx that he did. And I've experienced the same thing. And in his, in his talk, he talks about the first stage is, okay, I've got this freedom now that I can do what I want. Then that second stage is, well, there's got to be something more. And the third stage people go into, they try things. And sometimes they just don't work. But people give up. But you didn't give up. No. You didn't give up. And no. Dr. Boyce says is that those people that can um, transition to that fourth stage to find a passion that gives them those same feelings of contribution and meeting new people and, and joy again after retirement are the happiest people in the world. And that was what I love so much about your story. And it was a story that came from your life, your experience, your heart kind of accidental by finding information in a box, but you were able to take something and turn it into something beautiful that has an impact on people all over the place, all, all different film festivals, but you've been able to take that film to show it in schools. And so I really would like to have you take a moment to share that experience. And I love it that you say it wasn't easy, but I'm hoping that this gives kind of permission and a beautiful road for other people in your same position where all of a sudden you didn't have a choice. It was retirement, which happens to people in businesses all the time. And it's like, now what? <laughs> well, the now what, um, it, takes a, it takes a while to figure out what the now what will be. But as I tell people who ask me about doing this after I retired from my first career, that this is just my second career. And I realized when I was working at Fox 6 before I retired, several years before I retired, I came to, I think it was when I was looking at a contract just before the one that was going to expire when I retired. So that would have been three years before that. And I came to the realization that I was an employee of the company, but I was just renting my services. So when I, when I realized that and looked around and said, you know, um, they hired me to do this job and I agreed. So I'm, I'm renting my services. And when it's time to go someplace else and rent them somewhere else, I'm okay with that. It, it was kind of a, I don't know, metaphysical realization. <laughs> but when you look at what you do as your income source and uh, not your life, 
then you can walk away from it and find another income source. It's not easy to do, especially I had been working at Fox 6 for uh, 30 years. So it wasn't easy to walk away from that because it was familiar and the people were familiar and the, the physical place was familiar. But when I did walk away, I moved into another physical place, which I had to learn, had to meet new people. And then I had to do it all over again. But I looked at it as just another another thing that I'm renting my talents for. So when I looked at it that way, it, it made it not easier, but it made it more comfortable. And, and you now, were able to separate yourself from what you did. Yes, yes. For a long time, I didn't. For a long time, I saw my identity as my job. And when I realized that I'm taking from this job things that make me, uh, I'm learning from this job, but it's all going into me so that uh, I am not the job. The job is just part of me. And then I can take those parts and move to something else, which I have done. When you made that transition, that thought process of looking at trying new things, and like you said, some things didn't work, and and it wasn't easy, but you you pushed through your fears and you looked for something else. You and when it came in the shape of a box, <laughs> <laughs> you knew you instinctively knew that you had found something that matter yes. yes i mean that's that's that that is incredible because according to his ted talk so many people just give up they just give up and i always say i can tell by people how they walk if they're walking as if they've got a place to go or if they're just walking and you walked as forward as if you had a place to go. That's, that's fabulous. Yeah, well, uh, like I used to tell people, after my official retirement, and then when I was moving through other things, I would go to a, a group of uh, job seekers, a meeting of job seekers. And I would tell them, not that I knew everything, but I would suggest to them to find their passion. What was it they enjoyed doing? Not work, but what else did they enjoy doing? Did they have some hobby that they really loved? Did they have some skill they were really good at? Did they have some uh, subjects that they always wanted to learn more about? Take that passion and turn it into uh, your new career. So people who were uh, great seamstresses, if they like to sew for fun, I would tell them, well, have you ever thought of sewing to make money? Do alterations, uh, get involved with a theater company that needs costumes. Uh, if, you're, if you like to do woodwork for as a hobby, people make money doing woodwork. Have you thought of, about using that as a source of your income. 
So if you find your passion, you can turn that into um, maybe your profession, but maybe, an, but definitely another chapter in your career. And so that's what I did. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's hear more about that passion and what's transpired and the beautiful gift that you've been able to give back to our community and to our world. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Joanne Williams. She's a veteran journalist. She's been on TV. We all know her from TV, but there's a lot of things that you might not know about her. And I'm hoping that, and I know that she's going to share those with you today. And during the break, I had said to her that I just love her vulnerability. I love the way that she's willing to share who she is. And there's 10,000 people a day retiring who are faced with this decision. What does it look like? And what's the next step? And Joanne, you've got to share with my listeners because when you told me the story, it was so fascinating. And you and I are born at the exact same year. We were in <laughs> high school together, uh, not literally together, but at the same time. And I didn't remember all this. And so share with the audience how you started it, what's happened, some of the hurdles that you've had to face, and what the future Well, I can't say it all started, but the my making the documentary film, which is called The Exchange in White America, Kakana and King 50 Years Later, that started in 2016 when I was cleaning out my garage and I came across a box marked high school stuff. <laughs> Everybody has a box like that, right? And um, there was a lot of stuff in there that nobody would care about except me. But there was one copy of my high school newspaper that I had saved. And it said, uh, King welcomes kids from Kakana. And it had a picture of these kids on the front page. And I remember the experience. I remember a little bit about it, but not as much as I learned to uh, remember about it. But I looked at the date on that high school newspaper and it was 1966. And I found this box in 2016. And I said, this was 50 years ago. And it's time to tell this story. So that's how I got started. Naively jumping into the independent documentary filmmaking business, which I knew nothing about when I started. I knew about telling stories and I knew about uh, dealing with video. And I knew that the technical parts of telling a story because that's what I did in the news business. But I told little bitty short stories in the news <laughs> business. This I knew was gonna be longer than that. So I just jumped in feet first, used some of my own money, which there wasn't very much of, uh, to rent the equipment, to start shooting and uh, I thought it would take me a couple of years to do it because I was thinking on TV time, which is very fast. I didn't realize it was gonna take me six and a half years to do it, but it did. And I just kept going step by step as 
as I would find things out and meet people and go places to shoot things. Um, and finally it was finished in 2022. It sounds pretty simple, but believe me, it wasn't simple. It was, it was a heck of a lot of work. And there, there were times when I wanted to quit. Did you want to give up? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There were, there were many times when I said, why am I doing this? What, what am I going to get out of this? Because I, I, didn't, I didn't think about it as being something that's going to make a lot of money for me. I thought maybe a couple of hundred dollars I'd make back, but that's about it. Um, but it was so, it was so difficult. But I kept seeing the light at the end of the tunnel because I knew it was a good story and I wanted to tell it. And I wasn't going to give up until it was finished. Joanne, can you tell us your story? Tell us what happened. Tell us what's going on now, the future, and the things that you learned. So I'll tell you what the story is. Uh, it's about a high school student exchange between Rufus King High School in Milwaukee and Kokona High School in the Fox River Valley of Wisconsin. And a social studies teacher up at Kokona wanted his kids to have a broader view of the world. So to do that, he was going to have them perform a play. And the play that he chose was In White America, which is the history of African-Americans from slavery to civil rights. But in Kokona, there are no black people. So he had to uh, find a way to get black kids, and I say kids because these were high school students and I was a kid at the same time, um, to participate. So he and another teacher, Bernie Hupperts, worked with a teacher at Rufus King High School, Ruth Thomas, who was a black English teacher, and they selected kids that they thought would be able to handle this cultural exchange. And the kids went up to Kakana and lived with families for a month and performed the play. And then the kids from Kokona came down to Milwaukee and lived with their families for a month and performed the play. So over, over a two month period, uh, these kids lived with each other. And this all happened in 1966. It was 57 years ago now. Um, and it was during the civil rights era. So I wanted to tell that story. And then in 2016, uh, the play was restaged at Rufus King High School with a new generation of kids, a multi-ethnic cast. And then in 2018, we took the play back up to Kakana on an invitation from a teacher up there and did the play for the high school and for the community. And uh, the best part of that was that there were people at the community performance who had been at the original performance 50 years earlier. So it, it turned out to be um, turned out to be a pretty good film, I think. <laughs> it's, it's... Um, Joan, one of the things that was so amazing to me because I've seen uh, your film is the strength that both sides, both parents at both ends, at King and at Kokana, had the strength to let their children go almost sight unknown to these families to live with them and then to see how beautifully it unfolded and the connection that these students had 
they saw harp. They didn't see black. They didn't see white. They saw family. They saw connection. It was it was beautifully done. So the strength of the of the parents. Um, how did that unfold in such a difficult time frame? <laughs> I got to talk to some of the parents who were in their 90s when I talked to them. Um, they said that they thought it would be a good experience for their teenager to go and live in a different community. And particularly the kids from Kakana, uh, many of whom had never been out of Kakana. They had never been as far away as Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is less than half an hour away. They'd never been there. So for them to come all the way down to Milwaukee, which was the big city, um, was, uh, was taking a risk. But the parents thought it would be good for their kids to see more of the world. So uh, there, were, there were meetings among the parents before the exchange happened. They just didn't walk in one day and say, hi, here we are. Uh, and the parents were told what to expect, although they didn't, be, since this was literally an experiment, they didn't know exactly what to expect. <laughs> but I think the parents did it on faith that it would be good for their kids. And 16, 17 year olds, you know, are willing to do anything. So they were, they were up for it. And uh, uh, it took a while to find the kids, the exchange students. That took several years because people had left town and gone all over the country and I couldn't find them all. But I found five and I interviewed them and the parents of two of those kids. And they, they took the chance to do it. And what surprised me was that aside from little things that happen between teenagers anyway, you know, in high school, uh, nothing went wrong. It was a good experience. Even though some of the people in Kokana had never seen black people before, except on television, they'd never seen them. And the black students had never seen such a small town where everybody knows everybody. Um, so it was a, it was a good experience for all of them. And the question that I asked near the end of the film was if you would let them do it wow. again. And they said, they probably would, but I don't know. In, in this time, 2023, maybe, Maybe not, but they took the chance in 1966 and did it. You know, I think that's absolutely amazing because I do remember being in high school and I remember the riots and I remember the news and though the strength of those parents to realize that this is an important part of our children's lives to experience this, I think is amazing. I'll be honest, I do not think my parents would have allowed me to do that. Hmm. I, I was not one of the exchange students. 
but I knew the exchange students. And I learned during the research of the film that my family had sort of been involved because Ruth Thomas, the teacher at Rufus King was a good friend of my family. And so we, uh, yeah. we hosted a party at my house for all of these kids and the families who had come to Milwaukee, which I didn't remember. And I was reminded of that by one of the parents. Uh, and I had, I had three black and white photographs that I'd kept for 50 years. And I knew that I was in one of them. And another friend of mine from high school was in one of them. Oh. But I didn't know who the other people in those pictures were until I started the research. And it turned out that these were the kids from Kakana. And these pictures had been taken at my house. So I learned a lot during the course of during, doing the film um, that I didn't expect. Well, let's take another break. And when we come back, I'd like to explore some of the challenges that you had. But also, actually, let's let's also talk about what are you doing with the film now? Where have you been? You've won all these awards. Uh, let's talk about that. I mean, that's really important. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sets. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And you might be tuning in and asking yourself, isn't this money sense? What are we talking about? Filmmaking and retirement <laughs> and white and black kids going to different schools. But, you know, this is really important because, as I said earlier, there's 10,000 people a day retiring. And I can sit down and help them to figure out their financial piece. I can, I can do that. I mean, that's my passion and my love. But what is really hard is sometimes to work with our clients and what does the future look like? And... Often, like you, Joanne, I'll ask people questions and what do you love to do? And so often everything that they love to do is associated with what they did do, not what they have the potential to do. So I've invited my guest today, Joanne Williams, who is a veteran journalist. She's been on TV. We all know her from Fox 6 and TMJ and from doing the Black Nouveau on PBS, wasn't it? And yes. so we know her from there. But what you don't know is what happened after she left that career and she started a new career. And it's really a show to help people realize that there's more and you might have to do a little digging. As she said, it can be hard and there were things that were up and down. But now you get to hear what's happened. Not not the end of the story, because this story hasn't got an end. But what happened after the film was made? What happened after the film was made? Um, well, then I had to move into the um, business end of it, which I didn't really think much about when I was making the film. But now that's what I do. I never intended to be uh, an entrepreneur, but I became one <laughs> <laughs> accidentally. Uh, but I have taken the film on uh, the, the uh, festival circuit. I've had screenings in, uh, at uh, a festival called New Fest in Santa Monica, California, where we won Best True Story. I screened at the Mesa International Film Festival in Arizona, where we won Best Documentary. Uh, I was at the Beloit Film Festival. 
where we won best documentary. Uh, it's screened in several festivals that are virtual because that's the way festivals can do things now. You don't have to be in person anymore. But we've won awards in uh, two other festivals for virtual festivals for audience, uh, audience favorite and honorable mentions. So we've been in uh, we've been in seven festivals. We've won in five of them. We have some festivals coming up, and um, that's that's that was an interesting learning curve too about how you do film festivals. Um, and I just have another award, which I don't know if you know about. On June fifteenth. On June fifteenth. <laughs> yes. And here's the full circle. And you know sometimes. You, you leave that career behind and you think that might be the end of it. And I understand that you are going to be inducted into the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association Hall of Fame. Yes. How exciting. Yes. That's, it's very exciting. It's very exciting because that, that gives me um, validation that all the work I did for those years in television uh, are being recognized. Because you you work every day and you don't think about this kind of recognition. But then when you look back on a career, you say, boy, I did a lot of stuff. And I looked at who's in the Hall of Fame. And uh, I wondered, as one of the people who wrote my uh, recommendation letter said, I looked for Joanne and she wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> so now I will be. Yes. And you're right. It's such a great validation and what you've done now as turning into this amazing filmmaker and producer what impact do you believe that you have made with this film currently with the people that have seen it and what you've heard and where do you hope that this film goes and lives on how will it breathe and live on well that's a good question <laughs> Um, what I hear from people when they see it, and uh, I want to be there when people see it in a theater or on a college campus or, or a high school, I want to be there so I can listen to the audience and then talk with the audience. <clears throat> and I found that um, it stirs conversation about their high school experience and about their families and about their uh, knowledge of people who don't look like them. And it gets them talking, which is one of the reasons I wanted to tell the story. It gives people a safe space after watching the film to turn to somebody in the audience and say, what was your high school experience like? This is what it was like for me. This is what I learned. And um, as one of the people in the film says, uh, maybe I'm not thinking what I want to be thinking about other people. So that was one of the goals to make the film, not just to tell the story, but to get people into civil conversations about their society and about themselves. And in the future, what's going to happen? I have some more festivals that I'm waiting to hear from to see if I've been accepted in those festivals. I've also been approached uh, by a school district that wants to use it in their 
um, schools. I've had screenings in this part of Wisconsin and in Cedarburg um, and in at Germantown High School. Um, so I hope that it, it lives on and is used by high schools and colleges and community groups as a catalyst for conversation. Because the message of the film is we don't get changes made unless we do it one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. Everybody has to participate, but they have to participate individually. So that's, that's my hope for the film. And of course, I hope it makes a little money. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I think one of the things too I learned is that we label people. And it's so easy to label someone. And you took that concept that I was thinking about. And without saying it, you showed that labeling doesn't work. And when you are on one on one and you're working with people, you see that we're all alike. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued. We want to feel that we matter. And you, you did that. And so I see, and I was hoping that you would say that getting it into the school system, getting them into like maybe seventh and eighth graders before they get into high school, you know, where they can start to think about something in a different way, that they just don't listen to what's happening in the news and they don't look around them and see what's happening, but they actually have this opportunity to see a true, real story that had a beautiful, not just an ending, but it was beautiful all the way through. It was a tapestry of friendship and trust and, and, and love. I mean, I'm curious, did any of these people stay in touch with each other? Some of them did. Um, some of them, one of the students from Kakana uh, stayed very close to the mother of uh, the other student who he stayed with in Milwaukee and some of the um, kids from Milwaukee, one of them in particular, Phyllis Lawhorn and her mother, Sarah, stayed in touch with the family that they stayed with uh, when she was in Kokona for several years after that. So um, that was good. And they, some of the kids and I call them kids because I was a kid too. <laughs> um, we're we're, we're 74 it, years old now. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. As of as of Monday I was. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um but they they stayed in touch for a while. But they um they were happy that they participated in the exchange. And they a couple a couple of them said that it changed their life. Yes. I can imagine Which, that it would. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, our last break, actually. And when we come back, um, can you share with us what you've learned? And I know, like you said, it's been a roller coaster with ups and downs, but you didn't give up. But what has the impact been on you as who you are and who you've become? And as you see the the imprint that you've left on Milwaukee, on 
our country. And I do say that because you hope that this film goes everywhere and it has been outside of Milwaukee, but the footprint that you've left and to share with my listeners, some encouraging and thoughts that you have that whoever is thinking about retirement can say, wow, you know, that's something that maybe I can do. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My friend Joanne Williams is here today with us sharing her journey through um, not really, well, retiring, finding another passion, and all of a sudden, an entrepreneur started in a startup company in a sense, and going a whole completely different direction and share with us a, a little bit about that. But I guess mostly too about what can my listeners learn and what have you learned? And I know one of them was just all the new people that you've met for one thing. Oh yes. I figure um, since I started working on this film in 2016, I've met or worked with or had to have an association with almost 300 people <laughs> that I didn't know. Um, and I thought I knew a lot of people. So it, it that's that's been kind of a blessing to meet more, more people. Um, and I think that um, people have asked me after they see the film, what was the toughest part of doing the film? And I have to tell them uh, there are two tough parts. One was I had to learn patience. <laughs> I had to be patient with myself because in the news business, you have to work very fast. And I had to slow down and take time to reflect and study what I was doing and then move forward. The other thing I uh, learned and your listeners may be very interested in this. I can show you what it is. This is a USB cord. <laughs> Everybody knows what this is. It goes, it goes into your phone, but it also goes into your laptop and it goes into your computer. And I had to learn uh, more technology than I knew. I had to learn how to operate my laptop in different ways. I had to learn how to deal with this technology. And you know, sometimes it doesn't work <laughs> and you have, to, <laughs> you have to find ways to get around that. So I don't have all the answers for the technology because something seems to go wrong almost every day. <laughs> I get that. But I had to learn to be patient with that to get the job done. So I can't say I'm glad that I have to learn this skill, but I did. And now I have, now I use it every day because I work at the film every day. I also learned that now that the film is out in the world, where people can see it, it's, its journey is not over. And its journey, my working with it will last another four, five, six years while I get it launched and seen and find a way to have it live on its own. Yes. It's like 
it's like putting a child out into the world. Now I'm now it's all grown up and it's out there and it's got to start to live on its own. And I'm still pushing it from home saying, you know, get out and get a job. In this case, it's get out and get get seen and get a distributor so that you can live on your own. But it's it's a it's a lot of work. And uh, I have been asked if I would do it all again. And the answer is, yes, I would do it all again. But I would learn a lot more about it before I did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you have that entrepreneur spirit, even though you didn't know you had it, you had that spirit of um, this is something important and I can do it. And so often people have that feeling that you had, but they can't, they can't push back on that fear and say, I'm going to try it because if I fail, I'll try something else. I'll do something else. But you had the right instinct. You had the instinct. Where can people see your film? Um, You can see me at the, um, the Julian Dubuque International Film Festival in Dubuque, Iowa <laughs> on April 26th and 27th. You can see it at the Green Bay Film Festival on August 12th in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Between now and then, I don't have, well, I'm going to have a screening at a high school, I think, in May. We're still working out the details for that. But you can't really see it yet. I'm hoping there's going to be another platform on which you can see it, but I can't talk about that yet. And as we say in television, stay tuned. Stay tuned. And can they go to a website? Is there a way that they can learn more about what you're doing? And I guess there's a whole bunch of filmmakers out there too. We have just a little time. What would you say to the kids who are making films on their phones right now and they're a little bit excited about it? What would you say to them? I'd say keep on shooting. Uh, Keep shooting and experimenting and telling stories you want to tell. Learn more about how to do it. Uh, You can just take a bunch of shots on your phone and string them together and call it a film. That's okay. But if you want to make a real film that, that gets the attention that my film has gotten, um, you're going to have to do more than that. And you're going to have to work with other people to get it all done. Um, A lot of young folks think they'll just use their phone and take some pictures and edit it and that'll be it. And they'll do it all by themselves. Well, that doesn't get very far. If you want to have an impact, you have to work with other people and find the people who know how to do things that you may not know how to do. And I've learned that that's what's important in, in business is to find people who have skills that you may not have and are good at something that you may not be good at and get them around you and and to listen to and to listen to, listen to some of the the people who have done it that can, treat, can can critique you in a way and i think the other part that is really important is being resilient yes yes you always have to have a plan b <laughs> yes <laughs> Sometimes you have to have a plan C and a plan D, but you always have to say, well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to try something else. 
and don't be deterred by um, not being successful at one thing. Try another way. You may be successful that way. And I have to raise money for the film too. And I'm still doing that because I still have bills to pay. Um, but I was told when I started out that if somebody says no to you, it's only no for now. Mm -hmm. You may have to ask again later and show them what you've done. And then maybe you may get a yes. So you can't give up. Uh, and I say, don't listen to people who tell you don't do it because they're talking right. from their fear, not your fear. Right, right, right. If you feel you can do it, then do, do it. it. Just do it. And it may not work out the way you wanted the first time. So try it a different way. <laughs> My guest today is Joanne Williams. She is, as I said, a veteran journalist. And just recently, she is uh, been going to, on June 15th, going to be awarded the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association Hall of Fame. Joanne, I'm so proud of you. You have done a great job. I think you have changed a lot of the way people have felt. And you've, give, you've opened the door for them to think differently, to see differently, and to be different. And so thank you very much. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye.